makes these service, these physical services possible. There's a lot of work since we're meeting outdoors and um, you know, was here this morning early and I saw a bunch of you out here just working, putting these tents together, these canopies and getting everything set up. And it's such a blessing to see the fruit and the evidence of your love for the Lord and your willingness to serve. Now, a little bit of follow-up, but what I'm going to do is we're going to look at biblical examples of God's saving grace. So we're going to look at examples in the Bible of conversion stories. Uh, see what that looks, what, what, what does that refreshment look like for people, actual people in the Bible. And so today we're going to start off with a very special individual. We're going to look at, look at Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through 10. And um, some of you guys know that's the story of Zacchaeus. And every story in the Bible is ultimately God's story showing his love or his character, his goodness, his will uh, towards us. And so even though Zacchaeus, we might think is the main uh, you know, character here, he's not. He, it's really Jesus. And so what we want to do, what I hope that we're able to do this morning, is really look at this story, not just for history's sake, because Zacchaeus was an actual person that lived in history. But what I would like for us to do is really contemplate our walk with the Lord, as, as we read his experience, what he has experienced. And then also, very important to our previous um, series, is the idea that we get to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ, and we get to take that message of salvation to others, and we get to be an encouraging factor to those around us that maybe don't know the Lord, or maybe have walked away from the Lord, or, or are in some kind of weird place in their life. You know, we get a chance to come alongside and encourage them and, and bring them closer to the Lord. So that's that's my hope. As we look at the story of Zacchaeus, we analyze our own walk with the Lord and then the and, and then hopefully get encouraged as we go out and share the good news of salvation to others. So let me share with you a key verse, 2 Peter 3, 9. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Awesome verse. That's a New Living Translation. Okay, it's not that familiar, but not that much. Uh, but it's basically saying, you know, sometimes we think, wow, Lord, when are you going to come? You know, it seems like it's taken too long. It's been 2,000 years since you were last here, you know, in bottom form. And then the Bible, Peter says, it's not that he's being slack about it. He's being patient because God's heart, God's desire is that no one should perish. That is such an interesting thing to think about. You know, there's some 7 billion people alive right now, and God doesn't want any of those to perish. He wants every one of those people to come to repentance and to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is God's heart. And so when we look at Zacchaeus' story, this is one of those people that God didn't want to perish, but to come to repentance. And we get to read about the story and hopefully it ministers to us through the power of the Spirit. No way to, to recompense you or to thank you enough, but we're grateful for what you did on our behalf at the cross of Calvary. Father, we ask for your blessing. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So in this portion of Scripture, we're going to look at the heart of God towards the lost. 
in hopes of being encouraged to analyze our own walk with the Lord and our privilege to share the gospel with others. That's what we hope to be able to do today. Now, here's how we're going to break it down. In Zacchaeus' conversion story, we see, and that's where the seven points come in, all right? And lucky for you, they all start with the letter D. So you'll be able to remember them all afterwards if you're not taking notes. So let's start off with the description. The description. Right off the bat, the first three verses talk about who Zacchaeus is. So Luke, the author of this gospel, is going to tell us who Zacchaeus is. And there's about four things that he tells us that are interesting about Zacchaeus. Right? It says, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. So this was a, a resident of Jericho. The fact that his name was Zacchaeus tells us that this was a Jewish man that, as it says here as part of his description, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. Now, for most of us, if, you don't, if we don't have any background on, on you know, what that would mean in those times is, yeah, that's good. He's got a nice job, right? But actually, that was very problematic for him and for his own Jewish people. Being a chief, being a tax collector like Matthew was, one of the disciples, was already problematic because other Jews saw you as a sellout. Because here you were working for the Roman government, and your job was to take taxes from the people to give to Rome. And so, to say the least, you were not very well liked at all by your fellow Jewish citizens and residents. But here you have a chief tax collector. He was in charge of the, you know, Jericho Station IRS for the Romans. And that's very descriptive. That tells us a lot. We don't want to spend too much time on that, but he was a chief tax collector. And it also tells us that he was rich. And just quick context, if you read one verse, one chapter before that, you have a story about a rich young ruler who was also rich. And he comes to the Lord and says, Lord, basically, you know, what do I need to do to get to heaven? And after a brief conversation, the Lord perceives that he's just self-righteous and he's in love with his money. So the Lord tells this rich young ruler, he says, all right, just do one more thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. This is one chapter previous to the story of Zacchaeus. And it says that the rich young ruler walked away sad because he was rich and didn't want to part ways with his riches. And so here Luke, one chapter later, and for us, the chapter, you know, when Luke wrote this, there weren't chapters. So right after that, soon after that story, uh, we, we, he describes Zacchaeus, or part of his description is the fact that he was also rich. And then it says that he sought to see Jesus, who Jesus was. Uh, he was curious, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he wasn't a very tall individual. He was about four nothing. I don't know how tall he was. We don't know. But he was, he was short enough where he couldn't see over people. And that was a problem. And Luke tells us that he was a short man. So with that description, it tells us several, you know, some things about Zacchaeus. He wasn't very well liked. He was probably felt all these, you know, self-conscious about his height. And didn't have many friends. People, you know, people looked at him in a weird way. He was seen by his own people as, as very much like an enemy and a sellout. You, you start to get a picture of this young man, of this, this man. They didn't say he was young. He was a chief tax collector. He probably wasn't that young. 
But it's, it's interesting to look at his description and to understand that just like Zacchaeus, all of us are individuals. That is so amazing, right? That, you know, sometimes every once in a while you're watching TV or you go somewhere where there's a big crowd and you see someone and it reminds you of somebody else, right? Hey, look, there goes somebody that looks like Keith. You know? No, that is Keith. No, I'm kidding. And that happens all the time, I would imagine, right? Look, that person looks like this person. And then you look closer, it's like, no, they look nothing like them. Because we're all individuals. And, and, and I love thinking about this, how you are so different than I. And in some ways, we're, we're similar. But you're very much an individual. And everyone you meet is an individual with their own story, their own pain, their own hurts, their own successes. They've had their own victories, but everybody is an individual. And we all have things that we don't like about ourselves, right? For the most part, there might be some of you that are just like, now nah, I'm perfect. And good for you. But uh, you keep thinking that, all right? The rest of us will realize there's plenty that if it were up to us, you know, we would, we would change things about us, right? I mean, I, I played volleyball in high school, and of course I wanted to be at least 6'4". That didn't happen, all right? For us volleyball players, we all wanted to be taller than we actually were or basketball players, or football, whatever. Or we all would have liked to be just a little more intelligent, maybe, or we all have those maybe insecurities, or hopefully you're working on those, or maybe you're past those. But we all have that. And I think it's interesting to note that God knows every one of us better than we know ourselves. That is amazing. You know, all your fears, He knows them. All your thoughts, He knows just scary, right? But every situation that you've gone through, are going through, and will go through, he's perfectly aware of these things. And it's amazing. God knows us better than our spouse knows us, and he knows us even better than we know ourselves. He knows us better than our, even our mom knows us, right? If you're on the younger side, probably the person that knows you the most is your mom or your parent or your best friend. God knows you even better than that. And it's important to note that with this description, we see this person as an individual and to understand that as you as an individual, God knows you and knew you perfectly. And yet he loved you. And he desires a personal relationship with you. That he desires a personal, personal and intimate relationship with every person that you know. And I think that's important for our perspective. Every person you know, God values more than you value them. Think about the person that you love the most. For most of us, maybe it's your mom, your spouse, your children. Maybe you have several people that you would like to think you love the same but think about the person you love the most, yourself, and you're gonna real, and then to realize that God loves that person way more than you do, and He was willing to sacrifice for that person way more than we are. That helps me understand a little bit better what God's heart looks like, and I think if we begin to look at people that way, that even the people that we just meet randomly, God is in love with that person and desires for that person not to be lost, but to be saved. I find that amazing. And just as God desires that for every person out there, if we're going to be Christ-like, then it should be our desire to see everyone we meet and everyone we know come to repentance 
and to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I love that. But we're not going to get stuck in point number one. We've got to go to point number two. But before that, let me read a couple of verses to you. 2 Peter 3, 9, we read that was our key verse. But listen to it again in this context about the description. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And Zacchaeus, this person that was unliked, disliked, maybe hated by his own people, Jesus was personally interested in him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever, whosoever, as an individual believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the invitation that God gives to the world. We saw the description. Let's take a look at, his, let's take a look at Zacchaeus' desire. Verse 3, it says that, um, verse 3 says that he sought to see who Jesus was, but he couldn't because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. Can you imagine that? You know, a really good thing to do as you're reading the Bible is try to imagine. Just be careful. Don't let your imagination go all wild and crazy. But, you know, Luke is describing the situation here for you to try to imagine. Imagine Jesus walking by, and you don't have to try to imagine what he looked like, but he's walking by, and there's a crowd of people around him. And here's Zacchaeus wanting to see who Jesus was. And that says a lot, right? Zacchaeus just wanted to see who Jesus was. He was curious. He had this desire to see who he was. But he couldn't. You know, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says something really interesting that if you're old enough and you've thought about these things, it makes perfect sense. And you've seen this in everyone. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And also he, God, has put eternity in their hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity in everybody's heart. The idea that there is something else out there, that there's no way that we could have been created and then when we die, that's it. There is this idea of eternity in all of us. And then John 1, 9, it says that that Jesus was the true light which gives light to every person coming into the world. Every person that comes into the world is given some light about Jesus and who he is. Whether it's the ability to see creation or go to the ocean, go to the beach or go to the mountains or go to the desert. Just look at God's creation and then something clicks inside of you and says, whoa, somebody had to create this. There's no way this just happened. And whoever did it must be really big and powerful because this is really awesome. There is light for every man that comes into the world. And so here we see his curiosity. You know, according to Luke, all Zacchaeus wanted is to know who Jesus was. We're not given any further background about what Zacchaeus knew about Jesus. We don't know if he was just going about his business and somebody said, look, there goes Jesus. And then he looked and there was a big crowd. and He was like, wow, who's that? That would be, at the minimum, 
But very likely Zacchaeus had heard something about Jesus because Jesus had already done some miracles. And it says that a lot of people had heard about him. They knew what he had done. He was, there was already people wanting to kill him. And so most likely he had heard something about Jesus. But whatever it was, really, the only thing that Zacchaeus wanted to do is see who Jesus was. And I love that because, you know, with the verses that I just mentioned to you, we got to realize that people out there, doesn't matter the age, are already thinking about or have at one point in time thought about their own mortality. You know, whether it's, hey, what's going to happen to me if I catch the coronavirus? And then your mind starts wondering and you start thinking about, well, if I do get it, what, what's the worst case scenario? And what if I do die? What's going to happen then? And then all those questions and all those feelings come rushing to our minds. And, and that can direct us towards something other than ourselves because we realize that we're limited. And that's when we get an opportunity to come by and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And if they ask you, like, well, how would you feel if you got the coronavirus? And then you tell them. And hopefully it's not like, well, I hope I don't because I'll panic and I don't know what's going to happen. Hopefully we have a testimony and we have something to say that will be encouraging and say, well, I hope I don't get it. But if I do and worst case scenario happens, man, my trust is in Jesus. And he's promised me that after this life awaits an even better one. Then they'll think you're weird and maybe they'll ask, why do you say that? And show them a couple of verses. But we got to say something. We got to testify about God's promises. We have to understand 2 Timothy 2.26 says, Paul says that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Paul is telling Timothy that people that are not saved are under the captivity of the enemy that they've been taken captive and and they've been ensnared and it's only the power of the gospel that can get them out of there but they're curious they're curious but second corinthians 4 4 says whose minds these are talking about people that are not saved whose minds the god of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. We have that light of the gospel. And it is the gospel, God's very own living word, that has the power. We're just vessels to take that message. But we have to understand that. There's people out there that are curious, that wonder, is there such a thing as a God out there? Is there something more to this life? Can I really find joy and fulfillment and peace and purpose? And the answer is yes. But you have to know He that created you. And that's what we need to do. That's why we read the scriptures and we have fellowship and we spend time in prayer and we come together as a body of believers to be strengthened and to learn and to uh, experience a closer walk with the Lord so that we have something to share with other people. We have to have it first. Let's look at his de determination. His determination. Verse 3 and 4. So Zacchaeus sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up 
a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. I love that. I love that. Look, I know there's verses in the Bible that you read. It says that none seek God, not one. And I believe that taken in its proper context means that, you know, speaking about the fact that God takes all the glory because he's the savior. He's the one that does everything. He quickens us. He brings us. He calls us. And yet we see, of course, that there is this responsibility of people to respond to the gospel. There's a responsibility for the people that have the gospel to share it. And here we see Zacchaeus, who very easily could have given up. And I don't know what your story looks like, but I bet if you, if you look at your story now as a, as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, you probably can look back and see places where, you know, maybe God was calling you and you were kind of heading towards him and then something happened that distracted you or took you away. You know, we always hear stories of people that come to church and it's like, you know, I got to get back to things because... Man, I used to be here, and then this happened, and that happened, and I just found myself away from the Lord. And, and these barriers that exist, whatever they are, they could be physical barriers, mental, psychological barriers that keep us from a closer walk with the Lord or keep people from coming to the Lord. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but there was a crowd, and he couldn't see because he was too short and he didn't want to go through people. He could have given up and said, ah, forget it. You know, but thank God he was persistent. He figures while well, he's walking that way and there's a tree that I think I can climb. Try to imagine this grown, rich, important man willing to run ahead, climb a tree. I mean, for you adults, I'm talking 25 and over. I don't know. Like, when's the last time you climbed a tree? Right? When's the last time you climbed a tree? You did it as a kid. Probably. But, you know, you get to an age where it's like, you just, you don't climb trees unless you're doing some kind of a job. or You just don't do that. You definitely don't do it in front of others. That, that's a humbling thing to do. It's embarrassing. Because imagine Zacchaeus. All the people that know him are going to be like, look at that guy. Oh, you know he had to climb up there because he's too short and he couldn't see. Ha, ha, ha. And yet he exposes himself to that. I love that. You know, there's people I believe out there that you know that may not even realize what they're looking for. But God is calling them. And you have, and I have an opportunity to be part of guiding them and showing them and teaching them and encouraging them. I find that extremely exciting. So we see his, his determination. He's willing to do what we just talked about. Matthew 7, 8 says, For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open." Jeremiah 29, 13 says something very similar. And you will seek me, God says, and find me when you search me with all your heart. What I'm saying is there's people out there that are looking for something. And they may not even know they're looking for Jesus. They, think, they might think they're just looking for a little religion to help them with their problems. And we get a chance to come and say, boy, 
I don't know if you know exactly what you're looking for, but let me tell you what God offers you, and it's much more than what you're looking for. They can't, beloved, think about your relationship with God now, and think about your understanding prior to coming to the Lord about who God is and what you could find in Christ. I mean, I pray you, you experience peace through troubles, and I, I pray that you experience joy that surpasses and peace that surpasses all understanding. But did you ever imagine you would be able to experience that prior to knowing Christ? The answer is no, there's no way. We were dead in sins and trespasses. We may have had a, some sort of idea that, yeah, maybe God is awesome and it could be great. But chances are our ideas were misguided in what we thought we could find in Christ. And when you do find the Lord, it's a whole new world out there. Way better than you could have ever imagined. And it's the same thing with people around you. They don't even know what they're looking for, perhaps. They just know they need something. They know they have a void inside of them. And we have the answer. That was his determination. Let's look at the detection. So he's hanging or he's climbed a tree. Jesus is walking, probably talking to this crowd. And verse 5 says, And when Jesus came to that place where the tree was, he looked up and saw him. And he didn't just see him, but he called him by name and said, Zacchaeus. Can you imagine Zacchaeus' surprise? I don't know if he was hugging a branch. I don't know if he was standing proud on a branch. I don't know if he was kind of hiding. I would imagine he would have been trying to hide and camouflage into the tree. I don't know. But Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus. What? How do you know my name? I was just here trying to get a glimpse of you, a glimpse of you. And here you are looking at me, and you know my name? And, and beloved, I get full of emotion when I think about that because God knows my name. And he knew my name before I even had a name. That's who God is. He knew your name before you even named. Before your parents even knew you were going to come around. Before your parents even knew each other. Be ah, you know what I'm saying. Way before the foundation of the world, God knew your name. And he was personally and individually interested in you. And he is the same with everyone else. I love that. He looks up at him and says, Zacchaeus. And then the only time I believe that Jesus invites himself somewhere is with Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, get down from there. What are you doing? Make haste. Hurry up. Come down. For today, I must stay at your house. Today, I must make my residence in your place. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if you would hear his voice and open, he would come in and dine with you. And that's what he's done with us who are believers. He didn't just know his name, but he invited himself in. I know that in our current popular Western church, it's very popular to ask people if you would like to receive Jesus into your heart. And we're not going to take time to meditate on that other to say that 
more important than you receiving Jesus in your heart is that he would receive you and call you unto himself. Jesus here comes and calls him by name and says, get down from there, hurry up, because guess what? I'm going to be staying at your place today. Woo! Psalms 34, 15 says that the eye of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. You read the Old Testament and even when people were rebellious and stiff-necked and ungrateful, when they would cry out to the Lord, God would rescue them. God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and unlimited chances. And for those who might hear something like that and say like, oh, don't say that. And then people are going to be like, oh, I got unlimited chances. I could do whatever I want. That's dangerous thinking, beloved. If you find that in your heart, that's dangerous thinking. God wants us to be holy as he is holy. And our love for him will drive us through the power of the Spirit and His love in us, will drive us to be lovers of God and obedient to Him. And you know you love someone when you want the best for them and you don't want to offend them. And so if you say, oh, I love God, but, you know, I think I heard the... I don't remember anything the preacher said, but I think he said God is a God of unlimited chances. All right, you know what that means. Let's go. That, that would be a good indication that the Spirit is not in you. In the contrary, when you say, when you're tempted to sin as we all are, you say, wow, that looks really tempting. But how could I do this against my God whom I love? Then you know you love God. And you're not thinking these weird, you know, I can get away with stuff because God's going to forgive me anyway. All right. The detection. Let's look at the directive. So, ah, I kind of I covered that one already. That's what you get when you have too many points. You, you overlap. But the detection was Jesus looking up and seeing him and seeing, calling him by name, saying, Zacchaeus, come down. The directive was, come down, hurry up, I'm going to stay at your house. Jesus doesn't give him an option. He doesn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, you think maybe, can you find it in your heart to invite me to your house? Can, can we hang out? He's like, no. Of course, he knew Zacchaeus' heart. Zacchaeus, I want to stay with you. You know how nobody wants to go to your house, Zacchaeus? I'll go to your house. I'll hang out. I know you're empty inside. And I know you're looking for something. But guess what? It's me. I'm going to your house today. Let's go. I love that. It says, Zacchaeus, make haste. Come down for today. I must stay at your house. Look at Romans 10, 20. It says, but Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. What? God was found by those who were not seeking him and was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. And, and Zacchaeus is a beautiful example of that. All he wanted to do was see who Jesus was, and he got so much more than that. John 15, 16, Jesus says, You didn't choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit. And there's tons of verses like that. Point six. Let's take a look at the demonstration. 
Oh, awesome. The demonstration, verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, once people, oh, so he goes to, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, and then the crowd, some hypocrites in there, some self-righteous individuals in there, some highly religious individuals in there, couldn't stand the fact that Jesus would have gone to Zacchaeus' house, because everybody knew Zacchaeus was a sinner. What a scandal. Was he a sinner? Of course he was. So was everybody else there, except Jesus. But you know, Zacchaeus the sinner. And when, when they perceive that, Zacchaeus stands and says to the Lord, with no prompting from the Lord, and it's a beautiful example of a transformed life, a refreshed life, a new creation in Christ. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. Think about that for a second. He was a rich man. Accumulated that wealth over years, no doubt. Maybe inherited some of that. Worked really hard. Made his way up to be the chief tax collector of that you know, region in Jericho. He accumulated that. And just like that, he says, Lord, half of it, I will give it to the poor. What a contrast to the previous chapter, the rich young ruler who pretends to be interested in the spiritual things, only to be disappointed with the idea of getting rid of his wealth. Here, Zacchaeus, without being prompted, says, I will give half of my goods to the poor. That's a good chunk of change. And if you're thinking like, well, how come he didn't give it all? Oh, yourself, bro. Would you give half of what you have? Or are you thinking, yeah, but he was rich. Beloved, what's going on in our heart? That's a clear indication that he's parting ways with his old self. You should rejoice and celebrate when you see in yourself a willingness to get rid of your old you. You know what? I used to be this, but Lord, and nobody has to tell you, but you should be praying for evidence of God working in your life that you would be able to say, you know, I used to do this, but Lord, I give that to you. I give that up. Or you know all that stuff that I've been accumulating in my heart? Lord, half of that resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart I give away to you. Good start. Great start. Something. Let's look for something. And says, his riches were obvious to everyone. He stands up and says, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And then he says, and, because this is his demonstration, he says, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. I'll say this. Many of you look at Zacchaeus and you think that he was a fraud and that he collected his money by, you know, being dishonest. And maybe, but all I'm saying is the Bible doesn't say that. And as I read it, uh, that, that, that doesn't seem the case to me. You know, he would have said, half of my goods I give to the poor. And, oh, you know, everybody that I cheated in the last 20 years, I'm really sorry about that. But, uh, you know, too bad, so sad. He says, if. 
The perception from everybody was that he had accumulated his wealth through crooked dealings. But he says, if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'll restore it fourfold. I really don't, and, and you don't see people going like, oh, that's me, hey, everybody here, we got cheated by you. I think, I think Zacchaeus may have very well been an honest man. But even if he wasn't, God is good. I'm just saying the Bible doesn't say that. Let's wrap it up. Mark 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despite the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's the point. And here's the key is all his life. Had served money. That's what he was about. And just like that is the awesome thing that I want to see. The conversion. He goes from being dead to being alive, and he demonstrates that new life by saying, I have a new heart. I have a new desire. I have a new God. Look, the rich young ruler, Luke 18, 24 through 26 says, And when Jesus saw that he, that he became very sorrowful, this young man, after Jesus told him, Sell all your goods, give it to the poor, and follow me, and he walked away, Jesus said, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? And then, boom, chapter 19 comes around, and here's this hated chief tax collector who's rich being saved by Jesus. Why? Because the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. You have to remember that. Otherwise, our, our perspective is just going to be wrong when we rejoice in our salvation and when we attempt to share the gospel with other people. Nothing is impossible with God. Let's wrap it up. Point number seven, the declaration. This beautiful declaration by Jesus. Jesus said, when he hears what's going on, Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. He has shown faith, the type of faith that Abraham is known for. And then he says, verse 10, beautiful verse that I would encourage everyone to learn. And then it says, 19.10 says, For the Son of Man, Jesus speaking about himself, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And Zacchaeus was lost, and Jesus came to seek and to save him, and he did. And Zacchaeus gets saved, and Zacchaeus demonstrates that he's been saved by a change in his life and his affections. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, beloved. God sent Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost. And all of us were lost at one time. Some of us may still be lost if we have not been found. And the Bible says today is a day of salvation. Whether you want to take that as a literal 24 hours or a period of time, the point is if you hear the word, look at Hebrews 4, 7. Again, he designates a certain day saying to David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, today if you will hear his voice, 
Do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. Do not fight against the message. Do not fight against what you're hearing about God's love. You hear about God's love and you hardening your heart sounds something like in your mind, yeah, but then how come this happened? You hear a verse like Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates His love towards you and that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us and in your heart you might say, man, that sounds really good and I want to accept that, but man, why is this happening in the world? You got to be careful. That's you hardening your heart. And it's a decision that you make. It is a conscious decision that you make. When God says, surrender to me, and you say, yeah, but I still want to do this. But what's going to happen with my... You know, when people start asking, Mike, does, does God want me to like get rid of dancing? And does that mean I have to stop drinking? Or does that mean I could never do this or never do that? Or You know what that is? That's hardening your heart. I look at Zacchaeus, and he didn't start thinking like, well... Whoa, that's a big decision to make because if I become a Christian, Jesus might want me to get rid of my money. I don't know about that. You don't see that. You see God changing his heart and him just saying, I give half of my money to the poor. And if I cheated anyone, I'll restore it. Why? I have a new heart. I'm a new person. He probably caught himself saying like, what? What did I just say? Does that ever happen to you? Hmm? I hope it does. You start talking to people at church and it's like, hey, God bless you. Oh, did I, I, don't, I don't say God bless you. That sounds weird. Yeah. Or you start caring for, for people. Oh, how weird is that? I don't even know them. You know? And then they say like, hey, if you guys want to help next week, come at 7 in the morning. We'll set up chairs. And you're like, yeah, I'll come at 7. And then you get home. You're like, whoa, what did I just commit to? Did I say 7 on Sunday morning? What was that? And you're like, yeah, that's God prompting you. You want to serve. Surprise yourself. Let God show you. I love that about Zacchaeus. Right away, you see evidence. And nobody had to ask him. Nobody had to tell him. That just came out of him. I hope we're able to look at the story of Zacchaeus and rejoice in seeing and knowing that we're going to see Zacchaeus in heaven. All right? And when you get there, you'll be like, hey, whoa, that must be Zacchaeus. Zach, how you doing? Or maybe he'll be seven feet tall and have, I don't know. Why even think that? The point is, saved soul. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. We rejoice at us being found by him. And we're encouraged knowing that we can be ambassadors of Christ and telling people about this God who saves. They just might be interested. They may just be curious. Because here you have a chief tax collector. Maybe by people around their, their standards, they would have said, like, the last person to be saved around here would definitely be Zacchaeus. And that's who Jesus was concerned with and about. Just know that there's people around you. And our privilege is to be able to share the good news with them. Don't worry about what they look like. Don't worry about how much money they or they have or don't have or this or that. Let God do the work. I have two verses that I just want to share with you. I love the songs that we sang today. If you said it, we believe it. Woo! 
Look at what Jesus said. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. Let's believe it. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Let's believe that. Let's rejoice in that. And let's trust that God is still willing to seek and to save that which was lost. That was us. And that's people all around you. We get to be part of that. May God bless his word. I'm going to uh, ask you to, if you, if, you know, on your way in, you would have gotten your um, elements to take communion. We want to do that. We want to celebrate the fact that we were lost and now we are found. We were found by Jesus who left heaven and became a man and was born of the Virgin Mary, lived the perfect life, and then offered it as a sacrifice, as a payment on your behalf, on my behalf. And when Jesus hung on that cross, He had you in mind because He already knew you. Isn't that amazing? He rose on a Sunday morning and early on in the church, they started getting together on Sunday morning and central, central to their gathering was a celebration of the Lord's table. As the Lord had prescribed and asked us to continue doing this until He comes, we proclaim His death and we're reminded of His sacrifice and His resurrection and what that means to us and what that means to those around us who are still lost. So if you got one of these fellas, most of you are familiar now, you're pros, but peel back the first plastic layer carefully and take the bread. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we're so grateful to you as we study your word and we see your love towards this one man, Zacchaeus. And we see our Lord's personal interest in him. And we see our Lord inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house. And we see Zacchaeus receiving him into his home joyfully. And we see Zacchaeus giving evidence of a new creation, of a new heart, a new purpose, and a new love in his life. We pray that we would be the same. 
that there would be tons of evidence in our lives, in every aspect of our lives, that we would see evidence of a change, of a transformation, of a renewing. I thank you for everybody who's here, for everyone who is listening or will be listening online. We ask that you would dismiss us with your blessing. We pray in the wonderful, mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.